Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 46 of the Headspace and Timing podcast, a show dedicated to changing the way that you think about veteran mental health, brought to you by the Change Your POV podcast network. Today, we're joined by veteran and clinical mental health professional Louise Sutherland-Hoyt, bringing her perspective about veteran mental health as a veteran, spouse and mother of veterans, and a mental health professional. One of the questions that I like to ask is, you know, you were true to the mission, you were true to that, you were loyal, you were a part of the team. You know, where in your, from your family of origin, did you learn that? And, you know, generally these attributes that contribute to success in basic training, but we forget and discount them when we, when we talk about the awful things that we experienced in our lives that we forget, you know, where did you learn to survive? What did your parents teach you that held you together, that kept your situation from being worse? Welcome to the Change Your POV Podcast Network. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes about veteran mental health. My name's Dwayne France, and I'm a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After I retired from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set right, however, it was just a huge useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing isn't set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about federal mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support veterans, service members, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Is One Warrior Ethos, is that a program that you've developed or is that, what is One Warrior Ethos? You know, that's a, I'm glad that you asked that question because this, you know, my work and focus on, on veteran uh, mental wellness came from, I, you know, I'm retired from the state of Nevada and I spent my career working with mostly teenagers and younger adults in treatment of uh, drug abuse and addiction. And when I got out, I was kind of like, what am I going to look, but uh, what am I going to do? And I thought, you know, I, I'm going to really focus on creating my own little brand. And it wasn't long after that, that I was listening to an NPR interview with uh, Stephen Pressman, and he is the author of The Warrior Ethos. And he, this was written mainly uh, targeting military men and women, but mostly the culture at large, and taking the archetypes of the warrior culture from Sparta and from Rome and from Greece to, you know, and said, using that as an overlay as to what our culture is missing and by not connecting with the one warrior archetype and other archetypes that have been identified by Jung and others. Where one warrior comes in is, and this resonated so well with me, is 
the Greek philosopher who predated Plato and Socrates, Heraclitus, had a, had a saying, and it goes like this. Of every 100 men, 10 shouldn't even be there. 80 are just moving targets. They are running around and they, like men with their heads chopped off, they don't really know what they're doing. Nine are the fighters, for they make the battle and they are the ones that sustain the battle and the fight. Uh, but the one, the one remaining is a warrior and he will bring the others back. Now, that hit me in a lot of different ways, because in a way, this describes the human condition. The human condition being, you know, in, in times of panic and flashback, you know, and, and in chaos, we are one of the 10 where we just don't even know why we're around. And usually this comes after a shock, a, you know, learning of a death, a huge loss. And at other times we are one of the 10, one of the 80, where we are just a moving target. It just feels like we're so overwhelmed that we don't know what to do. And there are times when we've pulled ourselves together and we fought the fight bravely as warriors. And there have been times when we pulled ourselves together finally and gathered everything together when we have headspace and timing all connected together and in sync, and we're operating and sort of bringing the mind and the battles that go on in the mind in, into unity. And usually that's a juncture that's temporary, and we know it when we see it and we build on that. So I hope that explains that process. It does, uh, and it does very much. And that is that was that was amazing, um, and um, and definitely, and I and I think we'll we'll bring that back into. But I I'm, I want to capture that piece because how you just uh, said that Louise was very uh, very clear, and and as you said, very moving. Uh, I get this idea of um, out of every one hundred of our days, ten. We shouldn't even be there, right? You know, ten of these just overwhelmed days that you, right. you know, you talk about, um, and then you know, eighty of those days or eighty of those hours were the moving targets. We're just kind of, you know, there on the battlefield. Um, but then when we we can get into, you know, the fighters are the one that struggle, but the more of the warrior days, the more of the warrior hours where we are finely tuned, the better our life is going to be. So we want to reduce the days where we shouldn't be there the chaotic days and increase the warrior days. Exactly. And, and emerge, you know, with the prefrontal cortex as the one warrior that sort of rounds everybody else up in the back of the brain and the midbrain. Just come on, follow me. No, I think that is a very, very good uh, description. I've of course heard that before. Um, you know, we all, um, you know, the memes or, or, you know, it's, it's, um, some of the other guys in the podcast might even have used it as a, a motivation Monday quote. Uh, but the idea of applying that to our, our cognitive processes, um, and how we can, we can stop being cognitively one of the 10 that shouldn't be there. And we can deliberately focus and learn how to be the warrior who brings all the others back. Right. I think that's and great. We, and, you know, we do this through the development of tasks, and those are our treatment interventions. And as therapists, it's our job, of course, to assess which, which of the 100 are we sitting with at any given time in the office. And if so, what, you know, and this could also, you could sort of parallel this with the stages of motivation. What do we need to do to motive, you know, to move from one of the first of the ten, and into at least onto the, the battlefield, at least put them there in the action, because I think that's a necessary step. When we're lost and confused, we at least need to show up. We might not know why we're there. We don't have our orders, 
we're clueless. We have, we've been given equipment that we don't know how to use, but we're there. So, you know, we've got to, we need to always assess. And moving our patients, our clients from one level to another involves client-centered tasks. And with veterans, these tasks need to be necessarily oriented to what resonates with them. And as they performed and lived as warriors, this warrior approach resonates. As a matter of fact, I, I'll one thing and then I think we can move on. I have a, a war, the B, the B attitudes for one warriors and I, I'll send them to you because it's a little hard to explain, but it's, it's like states of mind that a warrior tends to, and it actually spells out the word warrior, it's an acronym, as to ways to be. And to be that way, what do you have to do to be that way? So I'll, I'll send it along. Absolutely. Well and I think that, um, and I'll make sure that this is on the show notes, and, uh, and this is going to be an amazing conversation because uh, it just, the, the concept of that moving from one warrior or moving from one stage to the other um there's there's so much i think we can have an entire hour-long conversation around that um however i am going to refrain myself uh and and uh and allow you to introduce yourself a little bit to the audience you're listening to headspace and timing on the change your pov podcast network Well, folks, uh, you've just heard a, a little bit of a, a pre-conversation uh, between me and today's guest, uh, and uh, and I, I hope that you're excited uh, as I am because this is really going to be a great conversation. Uh, my guest today is uh, Louise. She is somebody that was connected uh, through Eddie Lazary, one of my uh, co-hosts uh, here on the Changer POV Podcast Network. And uh, Louise is uh, is many different things, and and uh, we'll we'll talk about what some of those are. But she is a a former service member. She's a veteran, and she's a clinical mental health counselor, like me. So, uh, as you can tell, more and more there are those of us that exist in the community. So, uh, Louise, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you here. Uh, I was excited. Um, to, to learn that we knew a lot of the same people. Um, and then during our conversation, I'm even more excited uh, to hear where this goes. But before we get into that, I'd like to let you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and uh, sort of your background. All right. Well, I am Louise Sutherland Hoyt. So you're right. I am a five and a half year veteran of the United States Army. I enlisted in 1969 and discharged in 1974. I'm from a small town in California, Bishop. And uh, that uh, was a great way to get out of town and, and live with a safety net, being in the Army. So uh, I was stationed at Fort Rucker, of course, in the Army Aviation School, where I taught instrument, uh, fl instrument flight rules in the flight simulators. And then later, I was an air traffic control tower operator. I was stationed at Rucker, and then I was stationed in Hawaii. When I when I got out of the Army, I used my VA benefits and, and went to undergraduate school, and my intent was to be a school teacher. That did not pan out, and just life events made that kind of crazy. And I found myself just in my middle 30s uh, in the role of single mom and uh, occupying different jobs just to keep my head above water and uh, keep things going. In my middle 40s is when I decided, you know, I need, to, I need to get to grad school and I need to fulfill this dream I have of being a therapist. And so I took all of my business suits to consignment stores and got myself student loans and enrolled in graduate school in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where I received my first master's degree is in um, a master of education in addiction studies. 
And I went back and got a certificate of advanced graduate studies in counseling psychology. So uh, from there, I went to work for the state of Massachusetts, for actually an agency in Massachusetts, where I began to work with at-risk youth, actually adjudicated youth, a lot of gangbangers from South Boston, from Roxbury and Brighton area. Uh, my work history includes treating the addictions uh, in a methadone clinic, a lot of experience there especially with veterans who returned to Gloucester and uh, found themselves getting themselves involved in uh, opioid use and becoming a part of that, that horrific circus. Um, so my parents getting on the move to Nevada involved being closer to my parents who were living in Nevada. There I began to work for Division of Child and Family Services, working again with with families and youth, uh, many of whom, many of whom whose parents actually were veterans and doing very poorly in the uh, outreaches, the outback of Nevada. So I retired from from that work in 2013, and my husband and I decided that we were going to move to Florida, where we could just settle in. So from here, what do I do? What does a retired woman do that? has a lot of energy and doesn't want to stop. So I began to uh, I started a private practice and I began to put my feelers out as to how I could get involved in veterans groups. And uh, lo and behold, four years later, I am blessed to be surrounded by guys like Tony Williams and uh, Kelly Cowell, who has my soldier's place. She's a gold star mother and other veterans uh, who offers services, uh, Association of the U.S. Army, and also now as president of Florida Mental Health Counselors Association, where through our military service committee, we advocate for laws and changes that, that benefit veterans. And, and Tony Williams is really uh, has a leg up on that. So here I am uh, developing this One Warrior project. It's, it's a labor of love. And um, using my own experience with trauma, my own experience with addiction to alcohol, and the ability to move beyond and place those behaviors in remission and to contribute back and give back to this wonderful culture that we have that is of the military. My daughter is an eight-and-a-half-year veteran, and she, oddly enough, was at the, um, she was not involved directly in Black Sunday. She was at the first medical aid station as they were bringing casualties out. And uh, so she is, she still has that deeply ingrained in her mind. And I'm a mom and not her therapist. Right. So, so I, I walk, you know, it's just very easy. I just don't bring it up. But it was at her gesture that got me involved in um, the website for Black, Black Sunday and watching the series. It's been incredibly valuable to me. No, I, so that's my life in a nutshell. That was, uh, and, and, and there was even, and I really appreciate even that as, as I was listening to you. Uh, one, uh, so many parallels uh, in my journey, um, but then also, um, you know, you being a veteran yourself, uh, the mother of a combat veteran, uh, the spouse of a veteran, your husband served as well. Um, yes. And so you have, you know, really sort of this, this wraparound thing. Uh, but, but even then, that was originally my intent was to be a school teacher. Um, I was uh, planning on being one of those uh, cool high school English or history professors where the kids would derail them by asking about war stories so you couldn't get homework, right? You know, it, that's right. sort of what I envisioned um, my post-military, you know, um, career was going to be, was something in, in education, you know, um, doing that. And I kind of stumbled into uh, mental health counseling um, as well. But but one thing, Louise, is it would be interesting to hear about the experiences of of a female veteran in a time where even it's it's be it's emerging now, 
Um, but even in the late 60s and early 70s, I can't imagine that there were very many female service members. You, you know, you would be surprised, Dwayne. Uh, there are actually, if you go on Facebook, there are two websites that, uh, you know, are specifically for the Vietnam, you know, the younger, the early first wax Women's Army Corps. There are quite a few of us, and we struggled with many of the things that the women are still struggling with. Um, and I don't know that it, it was to a, a greater degree than, than what men and women uh, experience now. There was some sexual harassment. There was, I do have a history of uh, military sexual trauma. Uh, there was harassment. There were double standards. And, you know, I came from an upbringing where, you know, you, you didn't really have to put up with that. So and it was new there, for you. It was new. Right. And, you know, but my parents taught me that, you know, you, you hold your ground, you stand your ground, and you don't take that stuff. Or, you know, but most certainly we didn't feel like it was valuable to take it, you know, to complain about it. We just pretty much suffered in silence. And there are a lot of women who will say that and have a lot of resent about it, resentment about it today. It uh, was a cultural thing, and apparently it still is a cultural thing that, that is affecting us. You know, we, had a, we have a very sexualized culture, and the chickens are coming home to roost. And Lord only knows what's going to happen. But, you know, I have to give credit to the military because they have always taken the first steps in addressing these things. And maybe not to the effect that many men and women think it ought to be. And notice I didn't use that word should. Right, uh, yeah. We don't want to be shooting all over any situation here. But, uh, you know, the military has done well to take the initial steps to take care of these things. So um, women have much greater opportunities than we had. I was lucky. I was fortunate enough to get into instrument ground school and, and to teach that. That required some extra testing. And, well, you know, girls don't usually do that. And, you know, well, you know, this girl's going to do it. I was going to say, times are going to change. This, I mean, this and, girl's going to do that. Yeah. And, there's a, and there is a level of, of trailblazing, I think. I just considering um, you um, uh, as a, uh, a young lady uh, serving in the military and then, you know, um, so many years later, your daughter doing the same, but, but there is trailblazing work that is done. And I appreciate how you said that, you know, it, yes, and, and I served in the Army for 22 years and saw my fair share of, um, of course, uh, you know, sexual harassment and, and, and working through, um, you know, seeing those and addressing those. I was in a, an occupational specialty that was gender integrated, um, and so I worked with females from the very beginning of, of my uh, Army career and all the way through. Um, and so it wasn't a challenge for me. I, I always say that uh, the argument about women in combat ended whenever my driver in Afghanistan dismounted behind me so she would make sure I wasn't shot in the back. Um, you know, that's, uh, uh, that's the thing for me. Um, and so it's, it's, it's encouraging to hear that, uh, um, that as challenging as things can be, yes, the military is addressing it, uh, in many different ways. And, and as we often say, um, they're doing the best they can and they can always do better. Right. I, I would, I concur. Even the VA, I, I think in its, in its best efforts, has, has taken strides to ensure that, that veterans have options and to, to treatments available through, directly through the VA, through, they, you know, through the establishment of, of uh, alternative treatments. Here in Florida, as a matter of fact, uh, Representative Danny Burgess is introducing a bill that would enhance the scope of evidence-based practices available to veterans and their families. This uh, went into the legislature last year. It, uh, it died in committee. And this year, we are going to be very forcible uh, through the Military Service Committee 
to ensure that this gets the attention and the votes that it needs to to advance. We have bills on the Senate and on the House side. So all evidence-based practices available to veterans and their families in Florida, which is, which is awesome. Absolutely awesome if we get this going. That would include things like equine-assisted psychotherapy, which is incredibly helpful. Yes. Uh, no, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I, I often uh, talk about, um, you know, how the adjunctive therapies can support and integrate with um, uh, traditional therapy, if that's what we talk about. Um, many, in my experience, sometimes in the community, though, some people think that's the end-all, be-all, that that's the only thing I need is is working with horses, or the only right. thing I need is the retreat into the mountains, or, or a time, you know, right. or whatever it is, that all I need to do is swim with sharks or pet wolves, or and, and then that's my <laughs> therapy. Um, whereas right. used in conjunction with um, actually gaining some awareness and developing, working with a clinical mental health professional, it, it's not an either or, it's an and both. Yes, it is. It, you know, it's these things it's understood are collaborative and it takes more than just, you know, one agency to make a better warrior and to heal a warrior. We, it takes a collaboration of many hands, including the warrior. Right, you know, and, and including the the veteran themselves. I mean, that's the that's exactly it. Is the the veteran has a uh, you know a say in this whole process too, uh, and if they choose to to I guess separate themselves or not engage in that, um, whether they are they're aware of that choice or not, that's that's sort of a challenge, and that's really what we're trying to do here with the the blog and the podcast is to start getting these conversations out um, so that veterans can hear them, um, but also to help develop uh, cultural competence in other mental health professionals. Um, and that's Hi. the other thing that fascinated me is you you were there um, really as the counseling profession sort of developed um, into its own. You, you were there as PTSD was emerging, I think, as a... Right. Um, uh, as a condition. Uh, and so you've seen some evolution in our industry um, when it comes to treating veterans. Exactly. It's the amount of knowledge, research knowledge, and, and outcomes that we have at our, have before us are incredible, especially when it comes to our understandings of where all of, where in the brain this all takes place and in its history the you know the evolution of our trauma uh, you know there is a huge connection between the um, the effects of how intense or how severe was childhood trauma or we call it complex trauma the severity of childhood trauma contributes to the severity of the reactions to post-traumatic stress and we can understand that the greater the, the greater the resilience, the less at risk a soldier is likely to have to, to develop PTSD. The greater exposure to complex trauma, including sexual trauma, having an, uh, an alcoholic or other drug addict in the house, a divorce, somebody going to prison, all of these things contribute to the way a soldier, a veteran, responds to exposure to combat trauma. What we understand even more is that it's coming out that our core beliefs, the development of our internal deepest core beliefs, and we're talking about negative core beliefs of not being good enough, not measuring up, these are developed from preverbal ages and are carried well into our adulthood, sometimes to good effect and, some, and often, too often, when it comes to soldiers and veterans who had been exposed to combat trauma, these, these negative core beliefs and self-judgment will trigger and sustain deep feelings of guilt and shame and all of the other negative 
uh, attributes that our warriors, our veterans are experiencing and also contribute to the higher level of suicide. Right. And, and, and I often describe that uh, to my clients. And, and I've said so before here on the podcast is, um, you know, we we bring in stuff from our childhood into the military whether we joined it at, at 18 or, or 28 or whatever, we, we have a certain amount of stuff. That's what you're talking about is the, maybe the bad things or the good things and even the core beliefs that we bring into the military with us. Um, and, and joining the military is, is as much a running away from. So um, I was uh, 18 years old and living in my dad's basement and going to, you know, not doing much of anything with my life. Um, and so getting away from something, so it's as much a running away from as it is a running to. Um, and then the experiences we have in the military can amplify that, the, the adverse childhood experiences and things like that. And it can amplify it and, uh, and, and sometimes solidify it within us. Um, and, and that can, without awareness on the veteran's part, um, that can really get in the way once it comes, once the veteran service member leaves the military into their post-military life. Exactly. You know, when you think about, I love the way that, uh, you know, when you talk about attributes, but we bring, you know, we bring from our childhood attributes is as well as deficits. But when you talk about the attributes, just, you know, when you think about the effect of, basic training on a soldier. Uh, he's initiated in, the soldier is experienced to unbelievable challenges that before service, he or she never imagined that they could accomplish. And can you imagine at the, the end of that two months of having undergone the kind of discipline, the kind of uh, the new finely tuned level of endurance, the fitness of the body, the discipline of the mind. And these are, these are values that are retained. And these, I see, are important to be certain that we plug into as we work with veterans to be able to take a look at closer, look at what you've accomplished what it, and look at what you've achieved. You never thought you could do that. But more, if we think about a soldier's commitment to the mission and feeling guilty about it after, if he loses his battle buddy, one of the questions that I like to ask is, you know, you were true to the mission. You were true to that. You were loyal you were a part of the team, you know, where in your, from your family of origin, did you learn that? And, you know, generally these attributes that contribute to success in basic training, but we forget and discount them when we, when we talk about the awful things that we experienced in our life, that we forget, you know, where did you learn to survive? What did your parents teach you that held you together, that kept your situation from being worse? No, I, I like that. And, and it's, it's as much if a veteran would say, okay, well, yes, it applies to that situation, but that doesn't apply to this situation. They don't, they don't think that cognitively, consciously. But if someone were to ask that question, they said, yes, but, right? Yes, that's true. I was loyal and I was uh, accomplished the mission then, but now there's this situation and we can we can identify to the veteran what's the difference you can apply the same values and the same attributes to this obstacle um, that you did to the previous obstacle so that's a that's a very interesting thing because there's that word but and right. i i abolish that from my office i said you you we're not we're we're not going to deal with buts and so i challenged this and you know to to all therapists that I've had under my supervision just just say the same thing and instead of using the word but change switch that out to and and just try that on for size and see what a difference it makes no and I generally I, 
I absolutely agree. That is the one thing, one of the first, I mean, and, and when I work with veterans, um, I identify and you identified the word shoulds, um, but, but I start pulling out how often they use those words should and must and but. And uh, the way I often explain it to veterans is that uh, the word but negates everything that came before it. Uh, so that, uh, you know, if my wife, uh, who does listen to this and I'll explain it to her later that, you know, you know, yes, that's a, that's a, a, a great dress, honey, but blah, 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 any blah, blah, blah that I put after that negates the compliment that I gave before. Um, you know, and so just like that veteran says, yes, um, you know, that concept would have worked in that situation, but it won't work in this situation. I just negated any conversation or any thought that it would actually work at all. Whereas if I hold both of those things to be true, yes, it worked in that situation and it doesn't work in this situation. Well, maybe it's because you haven't applied it. But uh, no, I, I absolutely agree is these 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 common sneaky, um, you know, uh, stumbling blocks that I call them, um, that I, I use, uh, to, to tell the veterans. And, and I've even had veterans come back and said, Oh, there, I'm doing it again. I just said, but didn't I? And, and it's, and it's all part of the awareness and engaging the prefrontal lobe. Exactly. Well, you know, it's interesting that you, you know, that we're talking about certain words because, you know, neurolinguistics plays a very important role in healing and, you know, we're, we, my partner Kelly and I are developing this Warriors Grieving Warriors program, and we're, we're looking at ways to change out the language. And I, I indicated some of these things in, in our correspondence before this uh, conversation about there are certain terms that, that we really need to examine and, and get rid of. So, for instance, when if we say, if I hear a soldier say, I'm in a rut, my response is, how do you know? How do you know you're in a rut? Well, I do this and this. Maybe you need a break. Is it a rut or is it a break? Well, if you look at it, took it as a break, you know, what can you gain from this? And our work involves recognizing you're in a break. And, it is, and you're stalled, and what can you do with that? There's always work in everything. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that uh, really sticks in my craw is this a culture's expectation of grief and how to grieve and the time constraints and the behavior constraints. And one of the things that really gives me heartburn, Dwayne, is how on the one hand, we tell our warriors, grieving warriors, our gold star families, you, you know, you have to grieve as yourself as an individual. But here's the five steps that if you, if you follow these, um, what they say, and, and on a certain schedule, and I know I'm being really black and white here, that you will get back to normal. And that leaves me with just a little heartburn, heartburn in my gut. And I, I actually cringe when I say that. We want to grieve, as, grieve and our losses, not only through death, but losses of other things in our life as ourselves. And it's hard to do that when we place expectations cultural and personal expectations on our soldiers and our veterans. No, I, I absolutely agree. I, I think that uh, what we call things is very important. Um, you know, uh, the way we use words or the way that we describe things uh, is very important. And, and you used a word earlier, and I think as we were talking, maybe before we started, we were talking about wellness. And, and this is a conversation that of course, I have very often is is what do we call veteran mental health? Is it veteran mental health? If we call it something else, um, would it be more uh, palatable to veterans? Um, would we call it um, you know veteran mental wellness? Or so, what are your thoughts on that? I, I have my own thoughts, of course, and I, I'll you know um, 
bring those out a little bit later. But what do you think about the term veteran mental health? You know, mental, it's the word mental that, yeah. that you know, is ingrained and steeped into the deepest middle part of our brain. And when we think mental, we automatically go right to crazy. And what, could there be a worse label that we put on ourselves that think you're crazy? Um, though I do in a, a laughing way. And just the word mental itself is, is a roadblock to treatment. I'm not mental. I don't, there's nothing wrong with my mental faculties. I think I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm totally fine. I kind of like, uh, you know, things are beginning to evolve. We see a lot out there about behavioral health. And the first time I heard that was about 10 years ago. And I thought, you know, this kind of resonates with me because we have an opportunity with either behavioral health or, or some other some other term that is more realistic and less inclined to be sought off from the body and the soul that we can somehow bridge that gap between embracing mental or all wellness and stigma. Those are my thoughts. It mental health sticks in my craw just a little bit. Well, and 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 I do. Uh, I agree. Um, I I guess I prefer to um, uh, meet the hill head on. Um, and and the idea of behavioral health and emerging into behavioral health being different. Uh, I'm I'm here uh, at Fort Carson, um, and we have five military installations within our um, uh, geographic boundaries here in Colorado Springs. Um, behavioral health has taken on the same connotation as mental health now, especially yeah. in the active duty. Um, that whether it's, I mean, and, and I've taken to say you could, you could call it, you know, shoestring window washing. If it means me going to talk to somebody about my emotions, I'm not going to do it. And so for me, it's almost like a, a rose by any other name is still a rose um, whether we call it mental wellness, whether we call it behavioral wellness, or um, it, for me, it, it seems to be there's an underlying um, uh, hesitation or underlying almost, um, you know, a block uh, within, again, not just veterans, but, but in general, um, to going to see a mental health professional. And I think that, that our profession, from my standpoint, not being in the industry um, is, is experienced as you are, um, that we don't do a very good, we need better PR, I guess. We don't do a very good job at, at, at describing how absolutely wonderful um, our services can be. Do you agree? I do. Uh, I call my practice Warrior Wellness, and, uh, it, and I... I just put my licensing initials on my business card and they can figure that out if they want to. Um, and I actually have begun to use the word coaching. I'm a certified life coach and people tend to be a little more receptive of that, uh, of being coached through some difficult times, especially teenagers. Um, but you know, I, with, with as with you, you know, we're, we're between identities, I guess, as to, as to how we can, we can remove whatever it is that's assigned to that word, those words, mental health, because they, they're, they're interfering, they're getting in the way. I don't have an answer. Right. I wish I did. I mean, and I think we would both and, be billionaires if, if we did, but it's that idea of therapy, right? You know, and, and, and I've written about it before and talked about it before of, of uh, a veteran can uh, kick down doors in Iraq and Afghanistan with, with no fear, no hesitation, or, or not, not as much, um, but, but yet you can't drag them kicking and screaming into the therapist's office or the counseling office. But, but there's just this idea of therapy has the, still has the Freudian, you know, guy on the couch yeah. talking about your mother um that in 
and and it may just be that we're um i i don't know how to to change that although that's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to the that's what what you know trying to make veteran mental health as common as talking about the weather changing the way that we think about veteran mental health um and, and i guess and and i agree it's not the best word but it's the word that we have um we don't yeah. call cancer not cancer we call it cancer um and then we address it for what it is and we address the underlying i just i think it's and i agree with you it is a challenge and i'm I am also at a loss with, with how we approach it. Well, you know, uh, somebody will come up with something. Meanwhile, our task is to continue to um, reach out, be present, and stay up to date with an, uh, the overwhelmingly rapid pace of research and knowledge that we have out there about treating trauma and how, you know, as we read from Bessel van der Kolk, the body keeps the score involving the body and, and getting to allowing our, our veterans, our soldiers, our warriors to connect with the body, with their own bodies, because, you know, they've all been, you know, if they've been deployed, and in combat, their bodies have responded to the discipline that they've learned in the military. And the body continues to respond because it can, retains every memory of every adverse combat experience. And so we, we really must embrace ways that we can engage veterans in connecting their bodies with their souls and with their minds. And when I say soul, you know, your heart, the, you know, where we experience our trauma is in our core. And that's right below the sternum, right where our diaphragm is. You know, when we, when we are re-traumatized, that's where we feel it. If not there, then in our heart or somewhere in our throat. But it's, it's that midline. So, incorporating the body, mind, science, and of course, reaching the soul and allowing um, our veterans to, to be individuals and to be themselves in, in terms of, yes, I have this trauma and it's not going to go away. And I learned to live with it. And we can, our our job is to provide and the skills necessary to help our veterans learn to, you know, the, you had an article on the blog that I responded to about ACT, acceptance commitment therapy. You know, once we get in the boat with it, then it rose a lot better. So we, it's a very exciting time to be not only a therapist, but a, and also a, um, a recipient of therapy and one who can engage. And, and I, I, that's another uh, really great point that it is a, a dual relationship. It always has been, of course, um, but the veteran comes in um, and it requires the clinician, the therapist to accept the veteran as they are um, or, or the client, of course. But, uh, but I've heard these we, we've all heard them, I, of course, as if we work with veterans, they come in. And, uh, and I think even on one of the uh, Black Sunday episodes, um, you know, one of the uh, other veterans that he'd interviewed said that he went to the Department of Veterans Affairs and was talking to a therapist. And the therapist says, well, yes, you're broken, but I can fix you. Um, and then the veteran was like, number one. F you. Number two, I'm not broken. Number three, you're not going to be the guy to fix me. And there was this resistance. And so in our profession, there's, you know, people are like, I've heard clinicians say, oh, I love a wounded dog or, or, or a broken winged bird. And, oh, I, I, I want to heal you. I want to help you. And a veteran doesn't want to hear that. No, no. They, uh, you know, just cut to the chase. And, uh, you're exactly right. And, you know, if we if we could end on a, a note that's important is that, you know, uh, you're at Fort Carson. I don't know if you work for the VA. 
the VA is very resistant to uh, making uh, licensed mental health counselors and MFTs available to work with veterans, especially those grandfathering, those of us that uh, don't have a K, what's called a KCREP education. And they're very resistant to that, and there doesn't seem to be any opportunity for grandfathering. And they're missing out on, on a whole lot of uh, veterans, such as, as yourself and, and myself, that have some seasoning, that have experience and time and savvy under our belt, that... Uh, the younger, still learning uh, therapists have yet to acquire. So it's unfortunate. The, uh, you know, but on the other hand, the VA has also made uh, community programs available, other alternative sources of care. So that's our reality, and that's what we live with. It is. I, I do not work for the VA very deliberately and consciously. Uh, and, I, and I tell my colleagues at the VA this. I find it much better to work with the VA than for the VA. Uh, Tony and I have definitely had that conversation multiple times. Right. Um, and, and we have seen some inroads, as you said, with KCREP accredited uh, LPCs um, at the VA, especially here in our local CBOC. Um, but yes, they, they are... Um, anybody who discounts uh, LPCs or LMHCs or how it is uh, and LMFTs is is reducing by full two thirds the the number of very skilled professionals that can support okay. veterans. Uh, and uh, and even as you were talking about legislation and legislation at the um, the national level, I'm in legislation and advocacy at the state level here in Colorado too. Uh, no, I, this is this has been great, Louise. I really appreciate you um, uh, taking the time today, um, and and you know even just uh, the conversation about the the one warrior. Um, I, I like I said, I think that that we could have a whole conversation about that. I'd love to have you back on the show and talk really about that concept and specifically what you're doing um, with uh, with the one warrior concept. Well, this has been an honor and a thrill. Uh, I've been looking forward to it all week, and uh, I look forward to the end product and engaging more with your blog and having future conversations with you. Absolutely. Tommy. We don't, uh, once, once we, we find kindred spirits, we don't want to lose them very often. So for the audience, um, where can they find uh, your information, uh, maybe uh, social media and, and your web address and things like that? I, I am the best way to reach me is on Facebook. And I have my uh, One Warrior Facebook page and under the Louise Sutherland, Louise Sutherland Hoyt LMHC, MAC. So I'm on Facebook. Okay, and I'll make sure that that um, a link to that is in the show notes, okay. uh, and uh, and that anybody who is interested um, can get a hold of you that way. Okay. Thank you again, Louise. Well, thank you very much. You're listening to Headspace and Timing on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. And there was a lot of great stuff in that conversation. It was great for me as a mental health professional to see where we've come in the industry and the focus that we've been having on veteran mental health. Uh, I recommend that you go back and, and listen to uh, the beginning part of our conversation where Louise was talking about the idea of one warrior ethos. Um, the idea of uh, any one time that uh, we can be sort of frazzled on the battlefield, but uh, we have the ability to become the one who is the warrior. Uh, and it was definitely a different way of looking at that uh, quote that we've always heard. Really, in the wide-ranging conversation that we had, uh, there was a whole bunch of different stuff, talking about uh, legislative advocacy for veteran mental health. Um, you know, uh, we're at the point where there's a lot of legislation. A lot of people are putting things out, uh, both at the state level and the federal level, uh, thinking they know what veterans need. And, and veterans like Louise, who have seen, you know, sort of the progression over how things have uh, have gone, uh, and then veterans like uh, me and, and maybe some of the current era veterans who uh, really want to make a difference in their communities can really take action, can really get involved um, either at the local level with uh, uh, local community ordinances and uh, municipal ordinances at your state level is huge. Um, if you uh, aren't familiar with uh, working your state capital, 
Um, you know, that's where a, a lot of the state laws are happening and, and you can really make a, a pretty big difference if you get involved at the state level. Uh, and then even uh, at the federal level, um, it, we're at a point where uh, many people want to help take care of veterans and veteran mental health is becoming a bigger and bigger topic. And so figuring out how to get involved with legislative advocacy is going to be pretty big. You know, another thing that Louise talked about was uh, the impact of adverse childhood experiences uh, and uh, how that impacts our responses to trauma. You know, this is something that the mental health community has uh, has known for quite a while. There actually is uh, something called the Adverse Child Experiences Survey, and uh, and, and it really does predict, um, you know, later life um, you know, challenges uh, or even responses to trauma or things like that. Uh, and so uh, you've heard it here before where we've talked about how we bring a lot of things into the military and it impacts how we see the world. And, uh, and understanding that, being aware of how our adverse child experiences um, can really impact um, how we respond to uh, and even, um, you know, overcome some of the, the difficulties. And, uh, and then, you know, there at the end, we were talking about uh, the importance of the words that we use. This is something that, uh, you know, you, you've heard me talk about often is, uh, you know, should it be mental health? Should it be mental wellness? Should it be, you know, anything else uh, that you call it? You know, um, a, a lot of people are shying away from the idea of, you know, mental health means I'm crazy. And I think Louise did a really good job at, uh, at kind of breaking that down. And so uh, it's, it's really a, a, a good chance to kind of consider, you know, what do we call it? Love to hear what you think. Reach out to me on social media or respond in the comments and the show notes. And, uh, and let's have a conversation about what we should not just change the words, but change the meaning behind the words, change the way that we think about it. Since we've talked, uh, Louise has put together a retreat for June of 2018, something that she had mentioned in our conversation about a warrior's grief. Uh, she's been uh, kind of putting this together, working on it over the last three or four months. And uh, her retreat called A Warrior's Grief, Tending Our Wounded Soul, um, is going to be looking at things beyond just PTSD and TBI. If you're interested in checking that out, I recommend that you go to projectnewhopema.org and keep an eye out for the retreat whenever it goes online and it's offered. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to the show. Now that you're here, make sure to stick around by subscribing to your podcast player of choice. You can find the show notes for this episode and all of the episodes by going to veteranmentalhealth.com or changerpov.com. Sign up for updates on either or both so you don't miss another episode. While you're at it, check out the other great shows on the Change Your POV podcast network. Changing Hearts and Mind with my buddy, Special Forces Weapons Sergeant Jeff Adamek. The show about outdoor adventures that us veterans love so much, Neophyte in the Woods with Andrew McDowell. And of course, our flagship show, hosted by Eddie Lazary and Bennett Tanton. If you're looking for the total package for all the information that you need to live the life you want after you leave the military, you found it. I want to thank Doc Todd for his permission to use this track, Not Alone, from his amazing album, Combat Medicine. Doc Todd is somebody who's trying to bring veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light, and you can get his album by going to www.therealdoctod.com. Check it out, because remember, veterans, you're not alone. Ever. The struggle is real, found a feast and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic Tennessee, embrace my ability
I love you guys. Take those bottles out, dog, and pour them in the sink. Take the needles out your arm and the gun away from your forehead. It's time, man. You've been through enough pain. Stand up. It's time to stand back up. All my veterans, man. Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard. Get up. You know. Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.